Hey there, folks. Guys, we are recording again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. this is going so well already. What a great intro. It is, really. No, but we wanted to take a moment before we started the show. Normally, we, we jibber-jabber and talk a lot of shit, but I just wanted to take a moment, and we all did, and discuss with, and let you fine folks know that, yes, we are, we have heard your requests as to what's going on and why, why we're not releasing as usual as we normally do. COVID and world events have pretty much made recording incredibly difficult for us. And we just want to let you know that, yes, we are still fully intending on continuing the Curly Mustache podcast. And I think I speak for the guys when I say that we really love doing this. And we love the interaction with you guys, and we love hearing what you have to say. And we just want to let you know, yes, we are going to continue, and just bear with us as the world continues its dumpster fire from 2020. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, it's probably a good time to announce that uh, privately, me and Ian discussed that this will also be Joel's last episode with the Curly Mustache Man, Podcast. you're doing it on air, and, uh... too. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Why would you do (laughs) that to me? Why? Wow. (laughs) Why? Why have you done this shit? Okay, who's the Yoko that is getting... Who's the Yoko that fucked this show up? I want to know their name. Well, it starts with E and ends with Ian? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my name is Ian. Anyway, that being said, welcome to the latest episode of the Curly Mustache Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joel Aguila. I'm Steven. And I'm Ian, the very good at making up names, Mingle. Still don't have a nickname, do you? I guess we're just going to have to give him one, Joel. That is it. That is. We could just call him the Prick and see how long it takes him to come up with a nickname. Dr. Prick to you. There it is. Nope, nope. That's <laughs> also, it. Also, guys, I Prick. missed you. Congratulations. I'm Ian Dr. <laughs> Prick Mingle. I missed you guys. I missed all the listeners, too. Thank you so much for being patient. It's just this dumpster fire. I don't believe that man's ever gone to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen a degree on as well. As Joel was saying, you know, you're going to kind of notice that uh, our holiday episodes didn't go as well as planned as far as release goes. <laughs> so, you know, our holiday, holiday, I say that in, in uh, quotations, episodes are going to be released kind of sporadically throughout January. But as you'll notice in this episode, we are talking a little bit about Christmas. And just because this was supposed to come out in Christmas, and it's not going to, and you're just going to have to get over it. Yay, Christmas! <laughs> have a holly jolly Christmas. Let's talk about rape and murder. So, uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, what we do here is we take one real-life villain, one fictional villain, and we talk about their... Uh, crimes, their histories, their motives, any connections the two might have. And at the end of the episode, we cap things off with whether or not they could be redeemed with our uh, trusty bowler hat scale. So, our villains today, the real-life one, is Ronald Gene Simmons, not from the famous rock band Kiss. (laughs) Not that Gene Simmons. And the fictional villain for this week is the antagonist from... The 1974 film Black Christmas, otherwise known as Billy Lentz. So let's get started with uh, Ronald Gene Simmons, shall we? I want to rape and murder all night! I really like doing research about this guy, too, because, uh, one, it's it's hard to find information for, for him that's not literally a copy and paste of his fucking Wikipedia page. Oh, I know. So difficult. <laughs> so difficult. But once I did find some really good information, it was like, damn fucked up. All right. So Ronald Gene Simmons was an American spree killer, not a serial killer, uh, and a rapist that murdered 16 people over the week of Christmas in Arkansas in 1987. Uh, and 14 of the 16 murders were members of his own family. So kind of a fam- famicide type thing. Yup. All the people that wronged him. We've had a few murderers like this. Uh, In fact, I think last Christmas we talked about Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, uh, who was the guy who dressed up like Santa and decided to flamethrower his whole family's party and execute, like, his wife's mother and father in front of her and shit. So this seems to be kind of a 
kind of a theme during Christmas time, during the holidays, to just murder the shit out of your family. When families come together. And it was in the 80s, so you know it was right at that prime... It's 87, right? So it was like that prime time of... Uh, Cocaine? Of the going postal oh. <laughs> murders that were going on in, uh, in, in the U.S., Ronald Gene Simmons was born in Chicago in 1940. His father died within the first year of his birth. His mother, pretty soon after, remarried to a U.S. Army civil engineer, uh, who then moved the family across Arkansas over the next 10 years. So uh, after she got married, they moved from Chicago down to, I believe, a military base in Arkansas. And over the next 10 years, we're fucking just moving all over the state. And so that was kind of the start of how things went wrong. His father died, uh, his mother remarried, they moved, and then his stepfather started to sexually molest him uh, while he was a child, while they moving around. I can't really find any evidence of this, so it's hard to actually know if this is true or not. I'm not really sure where these sexual allegations came from. It's probably not him, because, as we'll find out later, he didn't do a lot of talking. before. Like you said, Ian, there's not a whole lot of stuff confirmed about his actual childhood, Really until his later teen years, you know, he dropped out of high school at around 16, 17, uh, decided to join the U.S. Navy. His mom and dad put him in a Catholic boarding school for troubled boys. Um, he lasted one month before they kicked him out. They kicked him out of a Catholic boarding school for troubled boys. An Arkansas Yeah, that's when he go to the military. For troubled boys. Yeah, in Arkansas. Oh, let me tell yeah. you something, Sister Mary Margaret. This little fucker... Gene Simmons, my God, he's terrible. Oh, the saints protect us now. <laughs> I mean, he is part of the Knights of Satan service, so... Wow. <laughs> I get it. Kiss. That's funny. <laughs> when he was 17, he joined the U.S. Navy. Then he joins the Air Force at 19. It seems like just a couple episodes ago that two of my co-hosts were giving me shit for saying, huh, it seems like the military has a bunch of fucking psychopaths in it. Okay, all right, look, it's just it's just that I wish you were wrong, but he joined in 57. He had a, like, surprise, surprise, spotless military career. That's where he meets uh, Becky, his wife, which we will go on to learn a lot more about later. Quits the Navy, gets a job at a bank, only lasts for, like, three months when he's like, I believe I am far above this, and then joins the Air Force, where he... Has a spotless career. Yeah, and by spotless, we need to bring up... He had a fuckload of awards, too. Was awarded the Bronze Star Medal, the Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross, the Air Force Ribbon for Excellent Marksmanship. So, not just a spotless career, a fucking, like, revered career. Yeah, so, when he joined the Air Force, too, he was assigned to the Office of Special Investigations and was stationed in Vietnam. And this is in 63. This is, like, the ramp-up at the beginning of it, too. Uh, January in 63 is when, like, the five helicopters shot, are shot down by Viet Cong, and that's when shit got, quote-unquote, real. He got a bronze star. That was for the Tet Offensive, if you know anything about it. It's pretty fucked up. Um, then, after that, he gets stationed in San Francisco, and this is in 68. Think about California, San Francisco, military guy, 1968 like he is awash with hippies and he fucking hated it he hated it and i'm not saying anything bad but you put in that whole 1950s 1916 southern sensibility about how people are supposed to be mm -hmm. then you have a whole bunch of hippie free love as well as him kind of holding like keeping the veneer of who he is up Oh, God, the sheer mental stress that he was under to keep his shit together publicly is probably dis destructive on such a level. Oh, that's why the military was great for him, because control, power, all of that shit is like 100% in his fucking wheelhouse. So, like, free love is just not happening. I keep always thinking of him like... Fucking Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I just I just envision him just being like, You're not a soldier. <laughs> You're a grocery boy. Come to collect the bill. That's what you are. I was going to make the same fucking joke. I kind of see him more as Mel Gibson in that 
recording of him yelling at his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. You mean, oh, if he's like Mel Gibson, <laughs> then he's yelling at his 17-year-old daughter, Shut up and blow me! <laughs> yeah. And you bring up a the, my next point is, uh, as Ian said, he met his wife at one of the naval bases that he was stationed at. Over his 22-year career, I think he met her four years into his mm-hmm. military career. Over 18 of his 22 years, he had seven children uh, with her. So he retires in 1979 as a master sergeant from the military. Uh, two years after retiring, he was investigated for possibly slash probably having a child with his 17-year-old daughter. Yeah, so um, one thing that we'll learn really quickly about old old Ronnie is he doesn't believe in the pull-out method. He, uh, uh, that's not really how he works. This is like classic narcissism kind of thing. Um, if you are to impregnate someone that you own, their child, aka your child, is someone that you own too. Becky, his wife, stopped having kids because the doctor literally said next time you'll probably die because her last pregnancy was so bad. And I'm guessing the only reason that Jean was, like, cool with her not, like, having her tubes tied is because he didn't want part of his possession to be gone. Also, he's probably all like, well, you know, now I have the new womb. Hello there, young daughter. I made myself skeezed out by that joke. Uh. Oh, dude, it's going to get worse. I know, I know. He was actually afraid that he was going to get arrested, and typically people that don't fuck their daughters and impregnate them aren't worried about the possibility of getting arrested for that. Yeah, weird, right? That's just going out on a limb. Do you guys know the story about how the rest of the family found out about uh, the daughter being pregnant, Sheila? No, why don't you tell us? Please do. Oh, yeah. So this was in 1981. They're all sitting around the table, and he is fucking pleased as punch with himself, just smiling and grinning. And the, everyone's like, what's what's uh, what's up, Gene? And he's like, guess what? Sheila's pregnant, and it's my baby. Don't tell anyone. Mm. He told the rest of the fucking family. Mm. What an awkward dinner conversation. <laughs> and then he, you know he's just like uh can somebody hand me the the mashed potatoes please yeah thank you very much also i'll kill all of you if you say anything bye <laughs> right these are great mashed potatoes honey really just i mean the the, the levels Stellar. of butter and, and milk Is that chive? Like... <laughs> did you put bacon in this it's absolutely it's amazing. Almost as good as my daughter's vagina, with whom I have been in and have impregnated. Could someone please pass the coffee? I could really go for a cup of coffee now. <laughs> Sheila, as we will come to see, Sheila is the oldest daughter, too, is his favorite. She is uh, going to be pretty central to this story. It just keeps getting worse. It's like we take a long break and we go right into the right into the incest. And I just... I want to die inside a little. My wife just texted me and said, stop talking about mashed potatoes and sent a drooly face. If only she knew what we were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because I I have a distinct feeling Ronald would have done the same thing if he had access to emojis. (laughs) I love that that's the thing she picks out of this. Like, she must really love you. She's just like completely past, oh, murder, incest, rape. Yeah. Oh, mashed potatoes? All right, so getting back to this. So, yeah, fearing that he would be arrested, he fled to two different counties in Arkansas. Uh, He settles down at a large 13-acre farm that had a 10-foot privacy fence all around the property. There was no plumbing and no telephone at uh, at the house, which is basically a compound at this point. Right? It's basically oh, yeah. he like did a, that intentionally too. Right. It's, it's weird. It's almost like it's a sense of being able to control the family after he got caught doing some seriously bad shit. Weird. I'm I'm sure there's no correlation. He actually named this uh fully uh, sorry, fallacious estate. <laughs> <laughs> he named it Did Mont- you almost say fallatio? That was what? on purpose. Did you That almo- was intentional. <laughs> He named it Mockingbird Hill, like he dubbed it. And you'll never guess what he dubbed the road that goes up to it. Little Princess Lane. That was his nickname for Sheila. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. This makes me sad. So every time lost... he drove to the house, he was going up Little Princess Lane. Ooh. Yeah. Why? Why did you yeah. have to put that together for us? I was perfectly fine not putting that together. Look, every once in a while, I just got to put in those, you know, there's the goldfish one, and then there's this Thank one. You. Thank I've you. I've lost all ability to have an erection, you're probably for the next 48 hours. I hope you're happy. <laughs> just slap him in the face with some mashed potatoes. He'll be... Hard as a rock. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> Mashed potatoes are ruined for me now. They're just fucking ruined, and I hope you're happy. So, Simmons, you know, worked several low-paying jobs in the area uh, around the county. He quit several of them due to complaints of him sexually advancing on coworkers and customers and just all around being a fucking horrible piece of shit, you know? Oh, yeah. So, we should talk about the one that he actually got fired from for that. So... There was this lady called Joyce Butts, who will join us later in the story as well. This is like the second Butts, right? I know, I know, but this one... Why is there so many Butts? Joyce Butts is a badass, though. She's real cool. She's completely unafraid of him. She is willing to tell him his shortcomings. And she is a woman who is his boss, so he fucking hates her. The other Butts was an accomplice to William Bonin, right? Exactly, Okay. Bonin Butts. Terrible Butts. all yes. I can think of is from the uh, so, a, a Christmas story, the Muppet version of the Dickens tale. You know, the word Jacob and Marley. All I can think of is we're boning and butts now. Woo! Christmas story, man. You don't even know your Christmas tales. This, this is a Christmas episode, sir. Happy holidays. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. <laughs> Go on with the butts. Joyce Butts basically finds out that he has been advancing upon this uh, mm, younger woman, and she fucking rips him a new asshole in front of everybody else, and he's not going to stand for this, so he quits his job. And then Gene began uh, to peddle his particularly petrifying penchant from properly perfect persons. Basically, he this is when he starts drinking. Oh, oh, good. Let's, so let's put was, alcohol he, into the mix because really, oh, it's a yeah. it's a healthy dose. We're going. I mean, it's a real healthy environment. He was doing all this. He moved to the middle of nowhere, uh, raping his daughter, beating the shit out of his wife and stuff. He was doing all this shit sober. So that's when shit gets real bad. You mean like as bad as it is on December twenty second, nineteen eighty seven? You mean that kind of bad? So this is when he yeah. finally snaps, like really snaps. Uh, he starts his murder spree by murdering his wife and his eldest son by just straight up shooting them in the head with a twenty-two. Yeah. Well, first he beat her to death with a crowbar, and then he shot her. And then he shot his son, uh, Gene Jr., who had just come back because like, he had moved away. Uh, Sheila had moved away. And when all these people had moved away, by the way, this is like the oldest of the groups, and he considered it a personal attack, like a narcissist would, you know, because if you leave him, it's it's that you are a, uh, what's the word? It is a slight against them personally. Yes, exactly. You're a traitor. Yeah, lots and lots of cult leaders in particular that share the kind mm-hmm. of psychosis that this guy has and the, and the very nasty traits, Jim Jones, David Koresh, these particular people, all of them took it very personal whenever... They could have hundreds of followers, but if one person left, they took it super seriously, and you can watch the abuse ramp up as a result. So, Yep, and then the, the control tightens even harder, and they become much more unstable. Yeah, because their possessions can't leave them. You also have to remind our audience that of the date, December 22nd is important because he was actually gathering the family together for Christmas. Yeah. So... As we go through the list of murders here, you'll kind of, like, catch on to the fact that, like, people keep showing up and then they keep dying like lemmings, basically. And it's because he invites the entire family to the house for the holidays. And so, as they show up, he's just murdered. Yeah, yeah. So, Becky has begun to see see the light. The wife had begun to see the light and started talking to her sister the oldest son is talking to Becky, trying to possibly get her out of that situation. Um, she was, like, clandestinely talking to him. Whenever she would go into town, she would write letters 
it was like real fucked up. She it was very hard for her to communicate with her children. Um, Sheila is calling all kinds of people trying to get this together. From what I can tell, they were all coming because like why the fuck would you go back home with that asshole? They were all coming back home to possibly get together, stand up to him. And then get their mom and the children out of that situation. So when he found out that the whole family was going to be there over this amount of time, his fucking plan was put into place. Yep. So continuing on into the family deaths, after killing his wife and eldest son, he kills his three-year-old granddaughter by strangling her to death. And I, I don't mean to be gross, but is this his actual granddaughter or is this his... His daughter-granddaughter. It's his granddaughter, but it's not his daughter-granddaughter. Okay. We just wanted to be sure Yeah, about it's that, Gene Because that daughter. just would have made sense that he would take that one out first. I mean, from a from a weird sort of psychosis viewpoint, it would make a little bit of sense. You, you know what I'm saying? Don't worry. Yeah, we'll get there, Joel. Don't, oh, worry. don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, he dumps the bodies <laughs> of the three in a cesspit that he had uh, his other children dig previously for, like, toilet waste. Because yeah. there was no running water. And he basically just waited for members to come home for Christmas. When they arrived, uh, he told his other kids that he had Christmas presents for them, but wanted to give them out one of one at a time. So he first kills his 17-year-old daughter, which uh, he kills by strangling her and then drowns her in a rain barrel. Yeah, she also was probably the one that stood up to him the most. She would call him, like, you fat old slob. She would talk shit to everybody in town about him, but nobody would really listen to her because she was, like, the fucked up kind of dirty kid whose dad was, like, a deadbeat and everybody hated. So she comes home first from school. They all, as they're coming home, too, and he's like, come on in here, and chokes her, not to death, but then sticks her head in a rain barrel. That's how he kills her. Which is actually how he kills his next three kids. They're all the the three yeah. youngest kids. Uh, chokes them yeah. and then drowns them in the rain barrel. This is all while Christmas is happening. So the day after Christmas, uh, Simmons' son and his son's wife show up. And he just shoots and kills them. And then he strangles and drowns their 20-month-old son. So basically a baby. And then the finale... Well, really not the finale. The family finale is he uh, awaits for the arrival of his oldest daughter, who is the daughter who he had a child with. Oh, it's... it's mm, Sheila. Yeah, Sheila. He shoots, he shoots her and her husband, kills them, and then the last family kill is... Well, he strangles his seven-year-old daughter, who is also his daughter's daughter, and, and then their 21-month-year-old son. So... Uh, Multiple baby murders here, multiple children murders. Uh, I mean, he just kills his entire family. And he lines up all the bodies in neat rows, uh, puts coats over them, except for his oldest daughter, who he placed a fancy tablecloth over her body. Yeah, he puts her up on the table and then gets like this lace tablecloth, the fanciest one that he's got. And wraps her up in it like a funeral pyre kind of thing. And places her so carefully. His little princess. It's so disturbing because it, because to, the, to him, in his mind, that is a sign of respect. That is a sign of love and adoration. Not the fact that you shot her in the fucking head. Or, or how did he do it? He strangled her or shot her in the head? He shot her. He shot her in the head. Just super quick. Boom, you're done. To him, it's, it's a sign of... Of adoration mm-hmm. and love. I wonder if he thought that maybe Sheila was stolen away from him by his by her husband. Because Sheila went to a business school, met this dude, and she was like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, immediately moved away. So I wonder if he thought that, it's not my little princess, she, her mind was tainted by this man. It was kind of weird what he did with his grandkids, though. Yeah. So, um, from what I understand, the property was pretty big. It was 13 acres. So, much like a lot of uh, poorer communities, you had like a lot of uh, like old, broken down cars on the property and trash everywhere, junk, you know, shit that needed to be picked up by, by the city, but just wasn't. But what he had done is he took, I think, his three grandchildren and wrapped them all in plastic 
Aside from his daughter-grandchild, uh, I'm talking about the boys. He took the three grandchildren that were boys, wrapped them in plastic, and just left them in a in an old broken-down car at the end of uh, the lane, Little Princess Lane. Yeah, each one was in a different car, too. That was the weirdest part about it. Right, um, right, right. I was thinking about that, too, about why he did that. And I think it was just because, like, with most narcissists and their children, when their children become of age to understand that there is, like something wrong is as soon as the narcissist starts dissociating themselves as like a possession and more of like a combatant kind of thing and i think those kids were too young and represented like something like almost collateral damage for what had to be done in his mind so i think he was just trying to put them somewhere where he didn't have to think about them because he yeah, I mean, it's didn't possible. do that with everybody else. It had to be intentional for those three. I hear what you're saying, Ian, but that's offering yeah. a lot of almost empathy that he would have, almost compassion he would have. I don't think so. I think that it was like he knew what he was doing is wrong. We'll see that later, too. But he believed that it had to be done to get revenge upon the people that truly wronged him. I guess I can understand that. I think I'm more in the crazy camp here. He's just fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. And he had something telling him that he had to do it this way. I don't know if it was like an... I don't think this is like... Uh, like, something telling him to do that would involve some type of psychopathy like... Uh, like uh, Not a schizophrenic sort of break. Delusion. Yeah, not schizophrenia kind of thing. Because... He never really sh showed any types of signs of that. We would see, like, signs of that in the past. I think this is just the most hardcore narcissism, then add alcohol. Speaking of alcohol, after he killed his family, he decides to leave his house and go get drunk at a local bar, comes home, <laughs> gets day drunk oh uh, while watching TV. He, he kills his whole family, you know? That sure does leave somebody parched, so he has to go wet his whistle down at the bar Gets a couple drinks in him, doesn't really talk much, goes back to the house and watches TV and gets even more drunk in the living room where all of the bodies are lined up. So he spends Christmas with all of his family around him, dead, drinking beer and watching TV. It's his, it's his ultimate perfect Christmas. That is the ultimate form of control right there. That is. Do you guys think he watched the 24-hour uh, marathon of Christmas Story? <laughs> you know he did. <laughs> well, what's-his-face was a, was a military vet, so he's like, I like that guy. Yeah, he, he flew B-25s. He's just really drunk and just, like, yelling at the corpse of the dead kid. I'll put your eye out! I fucking told you it would happen! My little princess Lane is gonna come up your drive, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's go fucked up. Woo! Wow. Nothing about this episode is funny today, man. Like, looks in... Nothing! No, it's just not. The, the living room, or the dining room, he's like, Hey, Sheila, you comfortable in that little lacy number I got for you? <laughs> oh, my... Shit, I'm fucked up. God damn. Okay, go on, Steve. Jesus. Let's talk about, uh... Yeah, so he, he actually goes back to town on December 28th. Uh, he walks into a law office and murders the receptionist, uh, who he was actually infatuated with prior to this, but she had rejected him. So once again, somebody that's the lady that sorry, that's the lady that he was making sexual advances to at his work. And then Joyce Butts was like, yo, fuck you. And he's like, whatever. So he found out where this girl had been working. This was like months later because she quit and got a job at a law office, found out where she was working, goes to the place and was like, you said you didn't like me. Pop. So this is clearly predetermined. Oh, like, yeah. Clearly. Oh, yeah. This is not no, a no, no, no. This whole act from start to finish is very, very meticulously planned from beginning to end. There is at no point that he decided to go off script. He chose who to kill and how to kill. He had a plan, and that goes with his military training as well. Like he had a plan that he was going to execute, and every single murder was. Oh, something. he was going to execute it, <laughs> Joel. He was going to what? I didn't. Hey, wow, puns bang. I didn't even mean to make. I'm rubbing off on you, buddy. Thanks. Or rubbing you off, one or the other. Either way, I'm okay with. It's been so long. <laughs> he then goes to an oil company office and shoots a man dead there, then wounds the owner. The owner of the oil company office was the other job he was working. It was uh, Taylor Oil Company. He worked 
also at a gas station. The guy that he was intending to kill, the owner of it, uh, was J.D. Chaffin, and he shot him, thought he killed him. And I guess the reason that he shot him is because he made him work at a gas station. It didn't actually make a lot of sense, but you got to kind of realize he's just sort of like, well, once I killed this many, I could, you know what, fuck that guy. And then he goes to the convenience store, right? Yeah, yeah. He shoots the owner, and then some poor motherfucker, Rusty Taylor, uh, no, I'm sorry, J.D. Chaffin was the one who just happened to be walking in. He was just a firefighter that just happened to be walking in, and right after he shoots the owner, he turns around and, like, pops this guy, kills him immediately. And he was like, oh, whoops. So I guess he did make one mistake, but I don't think he really cared. Yeah, good yeah. point. I hadn't thought about that. Then he goes to a convenience store uh, that he previously worked at, shoots two more people, uh, wounding them, not killing them this time. Then he goes to another company that he'd worked at, shoots and wounds a woman there, and then he just sits down and chats with the secretaries until the police arrive. I don't know if you noticed this, but I got a new gun. So, hey, how you doing? I know today's been a crazy day. Have you guys been having a... Uh, no, did you see my gun? It went kapoo-poo-poo. Let me tell you, why are you looking so scared there, sweetheart? I'm just uh, a little princess scrap. <laughs> that quickly headed into Cosby territory there. So... Zip-zop, zip-zop. Ghost dad, I killed my family. The convenience store that he shot those people at, uh, that's the one that he worked at. That was, like, owned by Taylor Oil Company. That's why he shot the owner of that place. And when he walked in and killed another woman, that was his supervisor, Joyce Butts. He shot her twice, thinking he killed her. He did not. But then there's a receptionist standing right there, right beside her as he shot her. And he set, he sits down. And he tells her to call the cops and says, I've come to do what I wanted to do. It's all over now. I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. How the fuck did he justify in his head that he was the victim here? Like, I've gotten everybody that wanted to hurt me. Joyce Butts fired you because you were a fucking creep. And then you shot her. Narcissism, bro. That's right, dude. That's why I keep saying that. <laughs> this guy was like a hardcore narcissist with not a lot of emotional control do you feel like and because again let's let's just talk about rob zombie real quick when i read that line that 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 quote i couldn't help but think of uh the devil's rejects where it's you know i, I am the devil and i have come to do the devil's work i could just see that influencing <sighs> that kind of different kind of murder though like just because that was just because he wanted to kill this was yeah. He actually did it because he felt like he was wrong. I know, it's just the line. Just the line. He was wrong, so therefore, this was a, a valid punishment. Which just kind of makes him a whiny fuck, yes. in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I kind of imagine him saying it like, I've come to do what I wanted to do. It's all over now. Like, if I'm face-to-face -face with somebody like that, and I clearly know they're just going to kill me, like, they have a gun to my head. The last thing that they're going to hear out of my mouth is me telling them that they're a fucking a whiny little fuck. <laughs> it's like, listen, I know that I'm going to die right now, but I just need you to know that the last words out of my mouth are talking about how much of a pussy you are. Actually, if this is a real thing. If you're ever in a situation where someone's got a gun to your head, the thing that you should do is, one, tell them a, a fact that is like completely disarming. Like, I drive a Ford Ranger, and... Because that actually makes them like stop and they're like, what? And then you tell them a little bit about yourself and something that scares you. Because that is, unless you know, this person is a crazy ass narcissist, you're more likely to get out of the situation. And you know this because you watched him think about it. <laughs> okay, I was just like, it's there. Where the fuck did this knowledge come from? He's like, actually, somebody hey. held a gun to my head yesterday, and that's what I did. I told him what I drove, and then I said... I drive a Dodge Stratus. And I said that uh, cockroaches make me scared, and, and then I karate kicked him in the neck, and he dropped his gun, and I ran away. I, did, I, I, I think that. I'd freeze up, so it'd just be like, you'd be like, Interior Crocodile Alligator, I drive a Chevrolet movie theater? I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> Somebody holds a gun to my head and I just start singing Mambo Number 5. Oh my god. Can we adapt that song but it's like, A little bit of baby in the pit outside. A little bit of <laughs> saran wrap around that guy. No, we can't. Oh. That's okay. a one-hit wonder. 
so uh to continue his story he was charged with 16 counts of murder convicted and sentenced to death which he refused to appeal didn't care Uh, he had to be separated from the other death row prisoners obviously because of his crimes and them feeling like his decisions not to appeal hurt their appeal chances yeah they're like, oh man, like I can't be seen with this fucking guy. He's clearly guilty. You're fucking it up for the rest of right. us. And to be fair, there were probably some people on death row that were not guilty. The end of Ronald Gene Simmons came when Bill Clinton signed his execution warrant and he was killed by lethal injection in 1990. None of the surviving members of his family would claim the body and he was buried out in a field somewhere. Now hold on. Is it a random field? Like, did he did he not even mm. deserve actually the, a headstone? No, I think it was just some random field. No, it was a. It's called a pauper's grave. They have them all over the the U.S. It's like people who are don't have money for funerals, don't have any loved ones, that kind of thing. They just put a little tiny headstone somewhere and stick them in the ground. Okay, just when I read that, I was just like. I, I don't know, just something about it seemed real poetic that this guy who just exuded so much control over life and death and the innocence and the destruction of innocence of, of the children and his family and his wife would end up in a random field somewhere, totally unmarked. Just there is a there is a certain, albeit a little too late for the karmic justice of it. And I love the thought. I love the thought. Honestly, Joel, I I completely agree with you. I think that there can't be a poetic enough ending for this guy just because of what he did. Like, he hurt the people closest to him because they were closest to him. Like, because he felt as though he had been wronged when, in fact, he had done all of the most fucked up stuff. Like, this is a great example of selfishness to the extreme all right ian's fun fact corner yeah welcome to ian's fun fact time ronald gene simmons that's right the podcast within a podcast ian's fun fact time ronald gene simmons's death penalty was actually the fastest from trial to death in u.s history well you said you had a couple fun facts that was just one that's a sham that's a that is a sham of a of a podcast within a podcast (laughs) In 1999, the U.S. Department of Justice study concluded that mothers were more responsible for a higher share of children killed during infancy between 1976 and 1997. Do you really want me to do this? No, no. I don't. I told you okay. I didn't in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this episode is Let's off the on. fucking rails. There's just, it's. Just... I was totally fine with just claiming that you were a sham and just moving on from it. Let's move on to Billy Lentz, shall we? You mean a.k.a. The Moaner? The Moaner! Yeah, it's like he shares a nickname with you, Joel. <laughs> you promised you would tell no one. That was, but that was, that was told to you in confidence, motherfucker. Listen, chicks like guys who moan. I <laughs> Billy Lentz was created by Bob Clark, who actually was also the director of Christmas Story. No shit. No shit. Yeah, and uh, A. Roy Moore uh, for the 1974 film Black Christmas. Billy was based on an old 1960s urban legend called The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs. This was also basis for the 1979 film, which would come later, called When a Stranger Calls. The call is coming from inside the house! Exactly. And further inspiration came from a series of murders that was actually happening in Montreal uh, in 1943. Mm. And that's where the band of Montreal got The uh, plot of Black Christmas is... Uh, A deranged serial killer who taunts and murders a group of college students during the Christmas season. Uh, In the original film, nothing is really known about Billy. Uh, It's completely intentional on the part of the writer. Just to kind of make him seem more psychopathic. Like, the idea would go on to inspire, like, the no-motive feel behind John Carpenter's Michael Myers character. Which we actually talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, Not at great length, but we mentioned it. And... Though it's never really stated, Billy is thought to have like a prior history with the number six Belmont Street house that he's actually terrorizing. Yeah. He's hiding in the attic 
And you can kind of see that it's filled with old toys and like a kid's bed and a phone. And he already knows the house's phone number. So it's kind of up to the viewer to decide whether or not they want to think that there's some kind of history with Billy and this house. Because he kind of just knows his way around it a little too easily. I, I did like how the filmmakers did a handheld shot for every time you were at the... You were viewing life through Billy's lens. <laughs> I fucking hate that. So it's funny that you mentioned that because right around when this episode's going to come out, an episode of Motion Picture Meltdown's going to come out where we revisit Black Christmas. And that's like one of my main complaints with Black Christmas is the really point of view camera shots where you just see his... It's like a Jalo style where you see his little gloved hands up in the, in the camera showing it from his point of view. Oh, yeah. really? Because like... My least favorite has got to be whoever they got to do the fucking mic work. It's fucking terrible. I can just imagine this dude standing in a room up against a mic for like three hours just... (laughs) Because there's so much of the movie that's dominated by that. The heavy breathing goes right with it, but you have to admit the voice actor that did Billy's voice, he is straight up insane. Oh, no, he did He sounds crazy okay i I mean it's just pure crazy i do have a theory follow me here so this movie came out in 1974 and late 1974 december if i remember correctly because christmas but so when he's talking on the phone he billy does this like all these multiple voices you hear him like do the mom's voice do the dad's voice and he says a lot of crazy shit i think one of my favorite ones is uh hold on um oh yeah i'm gonna lick your pretty pink and then he says the c word uh like i'm a tuning fork baby love that one but he does all of these different voices this came out in december 1974 1973 the year before uh a little book you may have heard of called fuck sybil was published know anything about that one Sybil, the like the whole idea of the multiple personalities being a killer kind of thing. I Yes, we know, Ian. We're just giving <laughs> <laughs> We're all trying to come up with a multiple personalities joke right now, but it's just like talk about the guy who raped his daughter and murdered everyone is just kind of sapped all the uh uh multiple personality jokes right out the way. And the uh, global pandemic and the attempted coup. Hey, we're <laughs> in the cave. Stay in the cave. <laughs> And Steven. Listen, if you can have Ian's fact corner, then I can have Steven's soapbox segment. <laughs> uh, now, listen, Steven, I, I really hate to correct you, but um, unless it happens in the south of France, everything else is just sparkling terrorism. Ah, okay. Fair. Fair point. <laughs> Billy continuously calls from the inside of the house threatening the sorority. But we don't know that until later. Yep, that is the spoiler of the movie. He threatens the sorority sisters with weird sexual threats uh, and general craziness, and they get crazier as the film goes on. The actor, as we said, actually uses different voices to portray the psychosis, who is kind of seemingly taking on different Mm -hmm. forms during his phone calls. This is sort of reminiscent of, like, Psycho, when he does the mom's voice and he does his voice. There's a lot of similarities between this film and Psycho, actually. I would agree, yeah. Uh, a lot of the up-close shots are, like, real up-fucking-close. And, like, what a cast, by the way, that's in this movie. Yeah. Fucking, um, what is her name? Margaret Kidder kills it. Yes, yes. Isn't she, uh, she's in Superman? Yes. She plays Lois Lane. That's right. He goes on to murder different members of the house in various ways, like suffocating them in plastic wrap, uh, sticking them with knives, hanging them from a hook... And when the police finally figure out the killer is in the house, the main character is actually found unconscious towards the end of the film. And they help her get to sleep. They're like, oh, don't bother her. She's got to sleep. And then they just leave her there, not knowing that Billy's still in the attic. So they're just kind of like, okay, well, I guess Billy's just hanging out up there, playing with his old toys. Just let her sleep, you know. We just, we, you know, we got multiple murders. We got a crime, active crime scene. Listen, Joel. She is let very, very just this out is, of her wits. This is also 1974. Yeah, take a nap at the fucking station. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's do, let's do your job, officer. That'd that frustrated first. me so goddamn much. It's just I'm watching this going. What the fuck? 
are they doing? She should be the suspect. You haven't even apprehended the suspect yet, but you're going to let her just sleep. Just let her sleep in the... Mother... Mm. I don't know why that frustrates Weird, Joel. It seems like I've heard that a lot today, by the way. <laughs> what? Do your job, officer. No. Damn! Stay in the cave. Stay in the cave. We're in the cave. We're in the cave. We're, we're totally it's in the all cave. all is safe inside the cave. We should bring up the 2006 remake, though, because the character is should in... Should we? It's not good, at least in my opinion. Some people like it. I'm not a big fan of it. But they do add some backstory into Billy's life. They include his abusive sister. And the whole, his whole backstory is actually based on Ed Kemper's backstory. So if you want to learn more about that, go back and listen to our Ed Kemper episode. Was Edmund Kemper also born with a liver disorder that made him yellow? And that made his mom not love him? Well, the second part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my mother always said that I was... Ed Kemper uh, was born and his mom was just mom, like, oh, I know you're bad. So Billy's sister actually abused the shit out of him and, and her and their their mother locked him in the basement. Uh, kind of like Kemper was locked, I think, in either the basement or a closet or some shit like that. I don't remember. In the basement. He was underneath the kitchen table. If you want to learn more about Ed Kemper, go back and listen to our old episode about Ed Kemper and Jason Voorhees. It's a good one. It's fun. A lot of fun, interesting factoids in that episode about driving around with severed heads. I'm just really <laughs> glad that they, in the remake, I mean, aside from the fact that that was, the remake was the moment I realized, wow, acting does not run in families. Cause I was like, <laughs> uh, rumor Willis. Wow. Your dad is Bruce Willis and your mom is Demi Moore. And you got none of their fucking acting skills. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dude, that poor person, though. Because, like, they named her Rumor. Well, yeah. That's what they get. <laughs> Can we talk about the character Miss Mac real quick? Uh, sure. Go for it. I want to hear it. She's my fucking favorite. She's obviously a straight-up impression of Ethel Merman. You mean this is the, the mother of the sorority house? Yeah, she's the mother of the sorority house. She's supposed to, quote-unquote, keep all of these broads in line. I love some of the lines that she's got. Um, also, there's, like, this reoccurring theme in the movie where she keeps finding hidden bottles of booze that she's hidden around. And they are... Um, when she's brushing her teeth one time, she pulls a bottle out of the back of the toilet... After, after she brushes her teeth, she uses the whiskey as a like a, a mouthwash, like Kesha style. There's one hidden in her makeup case. There's one hidden in her closet. There's one hidden in her suitcase when she's packing right before she gets off. Sorry for spoilers. But my favorite one is when she's in the library and she's looking through the books and she says, B, 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 where is it? Oh, there it is. B for booze. And then opens up the book and there's a cutout with the whiskey in there. Oh, I lost it. I loved it. It's the best hiding place ever. It's great because it's basically like when you are a hardcore functioning alcoholic like that, you forget where you put shit. So you know it's like Christmas Day every day for them. They're just like, <laughs> well, I guess I'm going to have to brush my teeth. <gasps> I found a bottle of whiskey. Time for me to get go. Oh, it's going to be a good day. In the, his backstory in the remake, he kills his stepfather and mother, rips out his sister's eye and eats it. Um, which is hardcore as fuck, by, yeah. by the way. God, that was rough to watch. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was hardcore, but it kind of bugged me because I saw that and I was like, are they going to, is he going to do that again? Is he? It'd be kind of cool if they threw some cannibalism in this movie. Yeah. Like, stick to the original material, but let's make him a little ba worse. They started off with cannibalism because when they're bringing the food up to his thing, they're talking to the guy dressed in Santa outfit for some fucking reason and they're like it tastes like chicken because it is chicken as close as you can get to how mom used to taste and then you see billy like <laughs> scruffing <laughs> but yeah but i just meant like if he's is he gonna bring it back for the rest of the movie no. like i think that'd be kind of cool add this weird like crazy sort of i don't know maybe it was just because it was around the same time that the hostile films mm. were out there so they were really getting to the whole body, body uh, the torture point it also came thing. out around the same time as the texas chainsaw massacre remake which had cannibalism and the hills have eyes which had cannibalism it was like that was like the thing and 
the mid 2000s for horror remakes. You know what really bothers me about that movie? Everybody then was talking about cannibalism. So they should have known that chicken does not taste like human flesh. Pork tastes like human flesh. That's why cannibals call humans long pig. And Joel, you should remember this. Oh no. Do you remember what the tastiest and most nutritious part to eat of the human body is the liver no we've talked about this joel on the air that was your guess the first time clearly you don't listen to me anymore oh oh great thank you so much i'm i'm really fucking glad that it's the chest the human how many episodes ago was that (laughs) how far before the pandemic was that All right, because if you're asking me to remember the before times, I'm sorry. You're just shit out of luck, Chief. You got him doing that high octave yell right now. (laughs) Fuck you both! It's true. All of our brains are changed. After killing his family, Billy ends up going to a mental asylum. He breaks out with his sister, terrorizes their old home in the same way that the original happens. To cap off the movie, he is impaled by a fucking Christmas tree, which the protagonist... Ends the film with a Merry Christmas, motherfucker. Fucker, yes. God, I love it. It, to me personally, that uh, was almost as good as like the Leprechaun. Uh, uh, Lucky Charms. L- Lucky Charms, motherfucker. Oh, when he shoots the fucking uh, four-leaf clover down his throat. That To me, that's like, those are the two iconic lines from horror films. You know what I mean? Where it's like, motherfucker. You can't just add motherfucker to the end of it and just expect it to be good. Because like, you don't like look at cat woman after you've arrested her and be like meow motherfucker like that doesn't work <laughs> purr purr bitch yeah. <laughs> i don't know man if if the rumor of christopher nolan coming back to the batman films after you know the flop of, that was tenant i kind of want to see him yell that now what what would he say uh high-pitched chirp motherfucker <laughs> That was a bat joke. You get it? Oh, fuck. All right. Wow, I am way slow. The the curly-haired, plucky sidekick from the 1974 version. I don't remember her fucking name. It was like, oh, it was Phil, but with a Y. Like Phyllis. Uh, She actually played Miss Mac in the 2006 version. I had no clue. I I I didn't notice. Goddamn, I am a fool. There's also a 2019 version of Black Christmas, which has fuck all to do with any of these, but I still liked it. So <laughs> I haven't seen it. I honestly, I think. Yeah, I saw that. I almost watched it. And then I realized I can do anything else with my time. <laughs> well, I can't. So let's move on to the bowler hat scale. Where does not kiss bassist Ronald Gene Simmons belong? <laughs> oh, he's straight 10. He's straight 10, man. Yeah. He yep. gets. Yep. 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 I think we all are going to come together and agree on this one. This man gets a 10. He is. He is top of the bowler hat completely unredeemable special place in hell much like the scene from little nicky where he has to wear a french made outfit and get a pineapple oh, shoved up his ass with a pineapple yes. this is this is what that man deserves all right i'm just, yeah mm. i don't even think we need to go any further that man is pure fucking evil well hold on i gotta talk about exactly why because ronald man he was so fucked up but like his wife the one that i told you about becky she was she he really fucked her up and i mean besides just the obviously killing thing but if you ever want to get sad her diary and the letters that she wrote to her children are available on the web and they're it's really really sad but even towards the end of their relationship right before he killed her he she would write letters to the the children and would say like maybe she needs to be a better wife maybe this is god's way of testing her and he would, she would still refer to him as my gene to the day that he fucking killed her, beat her to death with a crowbar, and then shot her. And he would, she would still refer to him as my gene. Like, if you, there is no other version of someone that could still last that long and still try to find love, and you find a way to make yourself the victim before beating and shooting them. So he's a straight 10. No two ways. I agree. I have, I have no desire to be sad. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, I'm not going to read it. Life sucks as it is. I know we're in the cave, but there's a lot going on in the world. And I just don't want to be sadder than I already am. Okay. 
Let's move on to Billy Rank. What does he get? Which version? Uh, we'll stick with the original. Let's stick with Let's stick with the original. I mean, he's insidious. He's he's very creepy. He's clearly psychologically unhinged. He is without compassion or conscience. He just he's he's got a dramatic flair to him. I mean, he's he's bringing it out. He's 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 putting it all on the dance floor. I'm loving the voices. He's really making a production out of it, and he's not fucking around. So honestly, I'm gonna have to go a little higher than I would have thought, and probably go with an eight. Okay. Because he is going through some serious work to get to to get to the murder and the and the and the and the and the torture. As That's a, a fair score for me because I would compare him a lot with Michael Myers, and we haven't done Michael Myers yet. And with a preliminary score, I would say I would probably end up giving Michael Myers a around a nine or so, just because of the sheer body count over the amount of. Uh, movies that he has but um but i think that because of the it's so many less bodies uh i gotta put him under so i'd say probably a seven or maybe 7.5 him about well i was gonna put him at a seven but then he killed lois lane with an icicle with an icicle so i was like this guy has some serious grip strength well, yeah so he's got to be at least a 7.5 brain freeze <laughs> oh my god oh Steven, <laughs> my man. I really miss Phil's like little drum set on this on this podcast. We really need it. <laughs> I Boom. might have to go get one. I might have to because that. Oh, so good. I'm proud of you, bud. You sh- uh, you should be ashamed of yourself, but at the same time, you should be proud of yourself. I mean, I'm very much not ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. It's not a word. Very for much it. not. Oh my god! Let's get to listener feedback, shall we? We have a new super fan, guys. Uh, her name is Jen. At the time when I wrote this uh, feedback, she had said, "I've just started this podcast and I'm hooked and loving it." And that's what I was going to share today. However, since then, she has commented several times on our Instagram post. She binged our entire catalog. In a week. In a week. What? <laughs> Genius. And she said, Damn, Jen. It's Joel's accents and soothing his voice. Steve's didn't know I needed them puns. Ian's tedious research. I love this podcast. I should have a platinum star for as much as I stuck around. I completely fucking agree. Also, my research is not tedious. It's <laughs> Dude, Rocky and Bullwinkle, tedious as fuck. I loved it. But goddamn! Yeah. Oh wow! I, I think if memory serves you right, Jen, I think is one of our listeners. The last time I put up a TikTok about it, about the show, I, I did a couple TikToks. I think Jen followed us from that one. So if this is who I think it is, hey Jen, hey Jen. But again, thank you so much. We really appreciate the fact that you've 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 joined us on this uh slightly crazy ride and i apologize for the uh just the sheer depression we're dealing with in this episode <laughs> <laughs> shouts out to the j dog we're in the cave you just binge 60 some episodes in a week and now it's going to be like 3 weeks till you get the next one <laughs> we still love you our next piece of feedback is from matt he says Wow, Richard Kuklinski sounds like a straight-up psychopath. His voice gave me the shivers. Great episode, guys. Well, thank you, Matt. We really appreciate it. And yes, I believe uh, that would be understatement of the century <laughs> with straight-up psychopath. Yeah. yeah, it looks like he took our advice and went and listened to the, the YouTube videos after we talked about them on the show. Yeah, yeah, the little clicky thing. God, I love that dude. <laughs> You probably shouldn't love that dude. Just saying. <laughs> hey, uh, Steven, Steven. Uh, you almost made me angry there. Oh, you almost, yeah. I'm not angry now, but uh, you almost made me angry. So what would have happened? It doesn't matter. I'm not angry now. What would happen when he was angry? Is he the Incredible Hulk? Dude, you <laughs> I wouldn't like him. The psychiatrist <laughs> asked him what would have happened if you were angry. Uh, it doesn't matter. You wouldn't like me. Matter, I'm not <laughs> hear that psychiatrist's butthole just pucker. All right, guys. Well, thanks for the feedback. As always, if you want to leave us some feedback, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at the Curly Mustache Podcast. If you want to tell your friends about us, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon Music, pretty much any 
uh, major podcast platforms out there. If you want to check out some other podcasts from United Cipher, go check out Motion Picture Meltdown or Edge of the World Broadcast. Uh, we just put up the season one finale, and I, I would really like to hear our audience's thoughts on it. Please, please leave a review, rate and review. Thank mm, you. That, that cross-promotion. Is it shameless plugging or is it lameless plugging? Uh, I would say both. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's both because it's not lame. <laughs> no, it's lame. It's fucking lame. Okay. You can also go and check out older episodes of Talks Over Games, the Anime Alphabet, and Music Video Countdown. Lastly, go check out some podcasts from friends of ours like Nerdonomy, The Whiskey Reel. Sorry to waste your time. And actually, before we finish up, I did forget one piece of feedback from our buddy Sean Moriarty, one of the hosts of The Whiskey Reel and old host of Nerdonomy. He wanted to let us know that the last episode we put out was really, really good and that he really enjoyed it. So that means a lot. Thank you, Sean, for continuing to listen. And we will continue to plug your awesome show. Uh, With that being said, I'm Steven. I'm Joligula. I'm Ian Mary Motherfucker Mingle. (laughs) And make sure you stay evil. (laughs) Go.